0: As our musicians have their seat you have a joy today to hear from one of our elders Nick Burroughs is going to come and he's going to share the word of God you welcome Nick as he comes good thank you uh, mic check mic check come on all right uh, yeah so for those of you that that don't know me uh, maybe you're visiting or haven't been with us in some time my name is Nick Burroughs my my full-time paid job uh, is to be the president of Metalworking Solutions a local manufacturing company I also happen to serve as a lay elder, which uh, basically means I do this for free, um, and so sometimes you get what you pay for, Uh, so go ahead and set that expectation this morning. Um, Also, I think it's been about three years since I've preached. They told me I get like 45 minutes a year, and I've got two years to catch up on, Uh, so y'all, I'm just kidding. If I'm not at at the Mexican restaurant at 1215, Hector's going to want to know where I'm at, so I think y'all are... (laughs) Y'all are safe uh, If you haven't been with us uh, this summer We are going through a series of Proverbs that we've called Wise Up And we spent the first several weeks really fleshing out what wisdom is And from where we derive wisdom Maybe you'll remember this definition of wisdom that Wade provided in week three of our series It says, Wisdom tells us what is God honoring in the everyday practical things that we're asked to do Well, I'm a numbers guy Uh, And so I thought it would be interesting to see which everyday practical things that we spend the most time doing So based on some of the most recent statistics, and I know this is uh, evolving The average person will spend in a lifetime Starting at the bottom, 21,000 hours surfing in there do we get 27,000 hours eating That's a lot of time eating 29,000 hours on the internet or social media, and I would imagine that time is growing with every passing day. 30,000 hours driving, which is why you guys have road rage. We are in our cars a lot, right? Look at this. Television, 70,000 hours of your lifetime spent watching TV. That's half of your leisure time. You could watch the Friends series 838 times in your lifetime, and there may or may not be some of you that are on your way, Kristen. <laughs> the number one thing you spend your time doing is sleeping, right? A third of your life, if you figure eight hours a day, which is why you don't, don't like skimp on a mattress, you spend a third of your life there, right? The f- main thing you do in your waking hours is work. 90,000 hours of your lifetime you will spend working. So out of all the everyday practical things that you could be doing work is the most primary And so it would make sense that we would give this topic great attention in the church And so I'm really excited today to kind of unpack this. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart I think it's a topic that the Christian church is starting to realize needs more attention based on the amount of books and podcasts and things that are out there uh, to be consumed Uh, Again, it's a topic that I've had to study personally And and I'm going to kind of share a lot with you today That I've had to kind of grow in In this area as I've sought to mature In this area of my life I do believe that there is a need For us to elevate in the hearts and minds Of the believers that our work matters to God Just as much as our daily devotion In the spiritual disciplines And you'll see me do this a lot today I'll talk with my hands my hope is that you will leave here today refreshed and re- encouraged, and maybe reminded of some truths about how you can walk well in this area of your life. So, before we read the text, uh, I want to. I thought it'd be good to kind of help you understand a little bit more about me and kind of where I'm coming from. And so. I want to use this example. So I recently took the Gallup Finders assessment. Some of you may be familiar with it, some of it not. It's just a, an assessment that kind of determines the way in which somebody feels, thinks, and behaves. And so there's 34 possible strengths that someone could have in their uh, assessment. And my number one strength is belief. Belief is the number one thing that influences the way I feel and think and behave in my life. What does that mean? Well, look at this slide with me. This is what it says. It says, Your belief theme causes you to be family-oriented, altruistic, even spiritual, and to value responsibility and high ethics, both in yourself and others. These core values give your life meaning and satisfaction. In your view, success is more than money and prestige. Your belief makes you easy to trust. Now look at this. It also demands that you find work that meshes with your values. Your work must be meaningful. It must matter to you. And guided by your belief theme, it will matter only if it gives you a chance to live out your values. And I bring that up because I want you to understand, (laughs) I've been wrestling with God my whole entire life over does my work matter? Is it meaningful? And I would propose that most of you aren't much different than me. These same questions lie somewhere within you. It may not be your number one, but it's somewhere in there. And you're asking yourself, am I living a life of meaning? And I contend that if you're going to spend most of your waking hours working, <laughs> it would make sense that you would be doing work that is meaningful. And so as we dive in today, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll understand how we should work, but I also really want to get into why work is so essential To God's design for us. So, as Wade said, wisdom tells us what is God honoring in the everyday practical things that we should do. So, we're going to dive into Proverbs first, kind of to see how Lady Wisdom instructs us in our work, and then we're going to kind of use it as a springboard into kind of a 70,000 foot view of work from the narrative of Scripture. So, look at me with Proverbs 6. You can follow along on the screen, they're not in your outline. I've got a lot. Because I'm just going to run through several passages from the Proverbs concerning work so that we can draw out this comparison of wisdom and work versus the folly of the sluggard or the foolish. So he's going to use this word sluggard a lot. So in your minds right now, I want you to get an idea of what a sluggard looks like. All right, so in my mind, I'm thinking about syrup oozing out of a bottle, all right? Okay, you, can, you may have your own uh, picture, but that's the picture in my mind. So he says this, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise Without having any chief officer or ruler She prepares her bread in summer And gathers her food and harvest How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you will, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber A little folding of the hands And poverty will come upon you Like a robber And want like an armed man We're going to jump in Proverbs ten four Says this A slack hand causes poverty But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10, 16, The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 19, 15 says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. A couple more, Proverbs 24 says this, The slugger does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. I love this one. Proverbs 21, 26 says, All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. I'm going to hang out here for just a second, all right, because I think so many people approach their day-to-day with a scarcity mindset, right, where they think, well, if I give, I'm just going to be taken advantage of or it's going to cost me something. God's Word says the righteous gives and does not hold back. God is a God of abundance, and so in your work, be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your level of service. Be generous with your compensation. Be generous when you tip your waiters at the restaurants because the righteous gives and does not hold back. I've got a little book here. I've got 20 copies, and y'all can race up here at the end. It's First Come, First Serve, and I bought bought these as my gift to the church. And when you read it, pass it to a friend. It's called Go-Giver. Y'all have heard the term go Getter, right? There's a little book. Well, this one's called Go-Giver, right? It's one of the most transformational books I've read trying to think about how do I apply this mindset of giving and that my value, my compensation, my influence is all based on how much more I give and how much I take. And that is right out of God's word. And if we would have businesses and men and women working in our workplaces that live that way, I promise you our world will be transformed. So y'all can come get some of these at the end. So one more proverb (laughs) Because I love the the word pictures here. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. He's making excuses not to work. Has anybody made an excuse not to work or go to school? I know I have, right? So he said, there's a lion in the road. There is not a lion on the road. He just doesn't want to go to work. (laughs) And he says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Katie can contest this is me hitting my snooze button. (laughs) Nah. <laughs> sometimes all too often right the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth like he's so close to eating and he just won't get it back all right the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes And then seven men who could answer sensibly. So on your outline, I kind of just threw the compare and contrast there. So if you notice, it's really clear from God's word what wisdom looks like, right? And so the wise prepares and plans. The foolish fails to plan. The wise is diligent. The foolish refuses to labor. The wise works in community. Think about the ant. The ant goes about its business one at a time, picking up grains that are much bigger than them. Their strength is astounding compared to their body weight, but yet they build these colonies because they work in community. But yet the foolish is selfish. He's wise in his own eyes. The wise loves, the foolish is lazy. The wise is giving, the foolish makes excuses. The wise gathers and harvests, but yet the foolish goes hungry. The wise works in such a way that it leads to life. And the foolish doesn't work, and it ends in poverty and even death. Now, I could sit here for 20 more minutes, and we could talk about all the different ways that this looks like, right? But I think what I really want to do is really get into the heart of the why, okay? Because you can look at that list, and you can marinate on that list, and we probably should. I saw a quote this week. I think it was attributed to Warren Buffett. I don't know if he really said it. But it said at some point you have to be real with yourself about the gap between the life you want to live and the life that your daily habits are leading you towards. So just take a look at that list. Do a little quick assessment, and you'll know what behaviors need to change come Monday morning. right? But instead of hovering there, I want to try to get to the heart of why. Why don't people work hard? As an employer, I see it up front every day. What results when there's a disconnect between what someone believes and what they're being asked to do? There's a disconnect oftentimes between the heart and the hands. And it's really not much different than what Troy unpacked last week with our words. Our words are an overflow of our heart, and I will contest that the work of our hands is as well. So many times, I think there's a disconnect And and when there is, like, people don't work hard, right? They don't want to give more than they take, right? They operate out of fear and not love. And since I'm talking to the church, I'm going to use some church language here. I believe so many people have a wrong theology of work, and it's plaguing our businesses, and it's plaguing our cities. The latest statistic says that the average worker is only productive two hours and 53 minutes out of a workday. Unless you're getting ready to go on vacation, because you can get a lot done on those last two days leading up to vacation. <laughs> I can attribute to that. I'm like, y'all need to take vacation every other week, because you get more done in a week of going on vacation than you do in the month leading up to it. But think about that, two hours and 53 minutes, why, why is that? What are they doing the rest of the time? Now, I will contend that there's a lot of reasons, right, and inefficiencies and distractions, but I will contest that one of the largest contributors is because there's a disconnect between the heart and the hands. Many of us view our jobs as a necessary evil and not something that God has created us and called us to do. And if I'm honest, (laughs) I've had my struggles in this arena as well. As I mentioned, this has been a battle for me for a lot of years, and mine has been more of one of balancing the significance of spiritual work and my vocational work. So there was a time that I really felt guilty and I almost felt like I let God down when I didn't go into full-time ministry. And there's been times when I have elevated the view of my work here in the church as more impactful than leading my business. And so I have really felt this, this tension in my own life, right, where I've, again, spent a lot of my adult life wrestling over, like, how do I reconcile God's calling on my life spiritually and his calling on my life in the business world, right, and how do I connect my faith and my work, right? Like, how, how, how should the followers of Christ engage in the marketplace? And I believe this tension that exists in the church really... And maybe it's just me, I I, I confess, I could be the only one that felt that. But but I think the tension exists because I think it's the the way we've heard, the way we talk about, the way we view quote-unquote ministry compared to how we talk about and how we view work. I think many people today think that if I really want to sell out to God, I'll go into full-time ministry or I'll go on the mission field. And I'm not taking anything away from any of that. But I will say, again, that we have somehow elevated full-time ministry work and spiritual activities above the everyday practical work that God has created us to do. So let me, let me illustrate how I think this faulty uh, thinking kind of creeps in. So we miss it on, we miss it on two sides, right? I, I think we miss it on the side of looking at our work in a negative way, right? So we may think, Well, I'm I'm just a paycheck, right? I'm working for the man, right? I've heard that one, right? Working for the weekend, right? I'm just working for the weekend, right? I'm just, I'm working, this is a means of provision, which that is true, right? Second Thessalonians says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat, okay? So that is true. Or you may think this, my job doesn't have an impact. I'm just an accountant, I'm just in manufacturing. I'm just a farmer. Somehow, like, you believe that you're less than because you're not on the front lines of some world-changing charitable organization or working in the church. You think that maybe you're a second-class citizen in God's kingdom because you're not involved in full-time ministry, and I contend that all of those thoughts are unhealthy and even unbiblical. Or, you over-spiritualize your work Okay, And I've had this myth Where I say well I'm just working Because I need to make money To support the real work of God Which is the church The implication is that The only reason you're working is to give money To the church which is where God's work is being done Right Or you may think My work is my mission field It's a platform for evangelism None of these are Totally untrue in themselves. I'm speaking in a little bit of extremes, right? So don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But both of these misses imply that the work itself is not significant and meaningful. It's just a means to an end, right? So don't hear me say this. I've got a banner on my wall at work, Metalworking Solutions, that says, People Matter, because people matter, right? One of the most transformational books I've read in business is People Over Profit. Like, People absolutely matter. Your calling to lead people to Christ absolutely matters. When Christ said, go and make disciples, what did he mean? He meant, as you go, make disciples. So as you go where? As you go along in the everyday practical things of your life, be making disciples. There are stories in this church of God using you in mighty ways to lead people to Christ. Fred told me a story about getting to lead a woman to Christ. Uh, a a woman whose home he was working on, right? Debbie Black was baptized in this church because of a relationship that was built in the workplace that led to gospel conversations, that led to gospel relationships, that led her to believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and coming to the Lord, right? So absolutely use the opportunities that God gives you to lead people to Christ because to all of those things we will say hallelujah. But it is critical (laughs) To understand that the accounting, the building, the coaching, the manufacturing that you do every day is just as significant to God. And I would contend that the work is the predecessor to building a gospel conversation in so many cases. So let me, let me unpack it with you this way. Y'all are all familiar with Ephesians 2.10. It was our VBS theme, right? Our theme was created in Christ, designed for God's purpose. What does it say? Well, if you're, you're probably familiar with Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we all agree that we are saved by faith, not by works, right? But then what? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What do you think about when you hear you were created for good works? What comes to mind? I would contend most of you are thinking about prayer, evangelism, giving, serving in the church. And I will argue that your work is just as much a part of the good works that God created you to do as all of those quote-unquote spiritual activities. If it's not, we are leaving something on the table as believers. And so I'm going to give you five things that I think are going to helpfully begin to help think better about this. Like, there's so much that can be said about this topic. But here's five things that I want you to consider as you move out of this place today. Number one, God is a worker, and God's image bearers work. From the opening line of Scripture, we see that one of God's character traits is a creator, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Later on in verse 27, it says that he created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them, right? If you've ever heard Troy talk to a men's group, he's probably referenced the masculine mandate in Genesis 2.15 where he says that he put him, Adam, in the garden to what? Work it and keep it. And I think it's been said by many theologians that one of the most expansive, applicable characteristics of God for us to emulate is being a creator. It says so much about who he is and who we were created to be. I mean, we see really that work is the first commandment implied from the Genesis story. Right when you do your work, you are bearing the image of God. God Himself is a worker, and therefore we resemble Him when we work. What is an image bearer? Right. What is an image? Well, it's just a reflection. Right. So you go look in the mirror. I, I see me. It's it's you see you, but it's not all of you. It's just a reflection of you. Right. And so when you work, you are reflecting God's characteristics to the world as a creator and an image bearer. So what would it look like for you? To bear the image of God in your field. What's he like? How does he rule? How does he act? What is he doing? And as an image bearer of God, I would contend that he expects us to find satisfaction in our work just as he did. Think about it. In the creation story, what did he say? At the end of every day, he said, it's good. He worked all day, and he looked back over what he had accomplished and what he had done, and he said, It's good, as if to say, I'm satisfied. And I believe that's within us as image bearers of God. So, number two, work is a part of God's design. So, He designed us to work. We haven't messed this up. Like, this isn't punishment, right? Like, 40 to 50% of our time during the work week or during the week is spent working, but yet we can tend to measure ourselves by the 5 to 10% of the time we spend doing spiritual activities. Right? Like it's out of balance and it's broken scale. Like God worked for six days and then rested for one. Right? Jesus didn't do ministry for 30 years. What was he doing? He was bearing the image of his father as a craftsman. Isn't that cool? Y'all thought about the 12 tribes of Judah, right? God's people. Only one of the 12 tribes was appointed to priestly work. Only one. The other 11 tribes were appointed to vocational trades. They were scholars, legislators, school teachers, merchants, warriors, olive growers, shepherds, much like many of us. Isn't that encouraging that most of God's people were called to do vocational work and in that the kingdom of God advanced? That's fascinating to me. And I think we lose it in, in so many ways. Like, have you ever considered what the garden was like? Like, when Adam was placed there to work, and it was called paradise. Look at, look at this quote from Tim Keller from his book, Every Good Endeavor. I've been working through it, hadn't finished it. It's like most books on my shelf. Um, <laughs> But he has this quote, he says, The fact that God put work in paradise is startling to us because we so often think of work as a necessary evil or even punishment. It is part of the blessedness of the garden of God. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. Many people make the mistake of thinking that work is a curse and that something else Leisure, family, or even spiritual pursuits is the only way to find meaning in life. Are you starting to see it? Like, I'm working for the weekend because I think that the the stuff that I get to do on the weekend is more meaningful and brings more satisfaction. But work is part of God's design and was intended to be meaningful. We've got this disconnect. We've got to bring it together. Number three, the gospel is good news for your work. There's a diagram on your um, handout, I believe, and it's the three circles diagram, and we often use this or are trained to use this in evangelism conversations. So in evangelism, you might use this and say, okay, well, God designed us to be in relationship with him, but because of sin, our relationship with God is broken, and therefore we suffer the consequences of brokenness in our relationships with people, with sin, sickness, and death, right? But if you repent and believe the gospel, If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised on the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father, then you can begin to recover and pursue God's design and reestablish a relationship with him and be an ambassador for reconciliation, right? So that's, in short, kind of how we might share the gospel with this tool. Now, overlay, if you will, I want you to overlay this idea of work, okay? And think about this. God's design was for man to work, all right? So you might have lost it, it's on your paper don't, don't panic God's design was for man to work but because of sin we now experience brokenness in all aspects of our life including our work, right? Genesis 3 that we will now work for the, by the sweat of our brow and everybody that works for me will give me a hearty amen like it is hot in the shop like it's 90 degrees and 70% humidity, sweat's pouring we got water, we got fans, we got all the things like trying to keep people cool, right? Work is hard, right? And that's part of what is uh, part of the curse, right? Yet, when we repent and believe the gospel, we are enlisted and strengthened to recover and pursue God's design for work. You see it? Work is what we were created to do. Work is what we will be doing, and work is what we are headed towards. Right? I wholeheartedly believe that redeemed image bearers will one day work in heaven, but it will be apart from the curse. But for now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are partnering with us to help us bring redemption to the earth and flourishing of God's creation. Right? So we're, we're supposed to be involved in this renewal of the earth right, and to participate with God in that. And to be pushing back the curse in all aspects of our life. Do you see this? While also working towards the spiritual redemption of men. It's both, right? It's not an either or. It's both. That pushing back. It could be that you're a doctor, right? And you're surgically repairing a broken body, right? You could be a teacher. And your work every day is helping push back poverty in a city because every year of education gives them a 10% better chance of not being in poverty, right? Your work could be like one of my managers told me last week. And we talk a lot about appreciation. We talk a lot about giving our employees attention and care. And he came up at the end of the day. This young man had been working with us for about six months, and he went up to him at the end of the day and just simply said, Hey, I saw the work you did today. You did a great job. I'm so proud of you. Didn't think anything about it. The young man comes up to him the very next day with tears in his eyes and says, You'll never know how much that meant to me because I grew up in a home without a father, and I've never had the affirmation of a man in my life. His leadership in that moment was helping to push back the curse that this young man had been experiencing for all of his life. Your work matters. And the gospel provides good news for all of your work. Which is number four, your work matters to God. There's no hierarchy, again, between the spiritual and the sacred. I love Martin Luther King's quote on this. He says, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, I can't, I'm not going to try to do it like Martin Luther King, I wouldn't do it justice. He should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of, of heaven will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Do you hear what he's saying? Like he's talking to a people who have been barred from any upper level jobs so to say and they're doing quote unquote menial tasks and he says don't worry about the job that you have to establish your worth your worth is created in Christ that is your identity and your worth is in him so many people want to equate their self worth with the money that they make, the company that they work for or the leader that they follow I don't care how much money you make you live paycheck to paycheck the money's going to go away The company that you work for is probably going to get sold and there's going to be another name on it. And more than likely, the leader that you follow will fail you in some way. But if you understand this, right, that your work matters to God and you show up every day and you work as unto him, well, now we have a shot at experiencing true joy and satisfaction. So lastly, the work that you do, again, no matter... What form or fashion is a ministry of God? I discovered that the Hebrew word for ministry, shirath, is the same word that simply means to serve. So if y'all have seen me out and about lately, one of my favorite hats to wear is a trucker hat, and it just says serve. I got that, and the the gentleman that that made that hat pulled it from Mark 10.45 that says, For even the Son of Man... Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many, right? I tell my team all the time, I don't care if you're a laser operator, I don't care if you're a welder, I don't care if you're in shipping, I don't care if you're in accounting, I don't care if you're actually working customer service, but we are all in customer service, right? Whatever job that you have, whatever skill that you have, you are called to serve someone because someone needs your service. And God has a uniquely and specially equipped each of you for a different way to serve. Right? God will use the work that you do, however menial you, you may think it may be. God will use your work to bless others. God uses your work to enable God's world to flourish. And God uses your work to help your city prosper. So I'm going to land the plane here in just a second. So as we close, I want you to think about how this all applies to our lives, okay? I could give you a million different illustrations and, and stories, but I, I want to point you to Jeremiah 29, because I think this kind of really ties it all together nicely for us to see. Hopefully you can see it. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What does he say? All right, so time out. All right, time out. What's going on, right? God's people are in in exile among people that they don't really get along with maybe, right? And God says, hang out here. I'm going to come back later, right? But what does he tell them to do, right? What does he tell them to do? He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons. Basically, raise families, right? Multiply there and do not decrease. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Right? We are not much different than this people. We just sang a song like, Until you take us home, we are here and waiting. We are exiles and waiting for King Jesus to come and take us home. But what shall we do while we wait? What do we do? Well, what do you tell them to do? Pray for the people around you to prosper, build homes, be workers raise families, you see it, things that aren't overly spiritual, like, do those things well, and in the city's welfare, you will find your welfare, isn't that cool, (laughs) like, this is so encouraging to me, as I get up every morning, and I go make sheet metal parts, right, it has meaning like think about think about this local body all right you are a complex network of people right that when functioning well helps to make a city flourish all right so think about that right so in this room today we have image bearers who have committed their lives to ensuring that we have power In this room today, we have image bearers who design and build machines to make paper trays for your French fries and Happy Meals. I asked Dan McCauley this morning, Hey, how many trays per minute do you make at Southern Champion Tray? He said, Oh, about 700. And we got 14 of those. I got one machine that'll make a million trays per shift. That's a lot of fast food. (laughs) And we all love fast food. An image bearer designed and created that machine, right? Like, we have image bearers in this room who not only design, but build and construct homes. I mean, I heard a story about a contractor who was working with a client, and they were laying out the living room and the stairs, and they were like, okay, well, you got a family, you got daughters, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a landing right here so that when your daughters are coming out for prom, everyone can gather in the family room. And then you can watch your daughter come out and descend the stairs. That's an image bearer thinking about how to create a special place to make a special moment, to make special memories in the lives of other image bearers. Do you see it? Like image bearers in this room who are pushing back the curse of sin in their work. If you're a healthcare worker, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a fitness professional trying to help somebody figure out how to take care of their body, you are involved in the pushing back of the curse that we all experience. I hope you're starting to see it. Now, think about this. What, if, what, what would happen? So, we, we, we're comparing wisdom and foolish, right? What would happen if we all chose the way of the sluggard? What, what, what would happen if, if we all chose leisure? And, and laziness. What would happen to this world that we, we live in? Like, no one growing food, raising pigs? <laughs> what would we eat? No one building homes? Like, where, where would we live? No one working to make sure the power grid's working every day? How would you stay cool in 95 degree summer? <laughs> right? Like it, it, it matters what you do. No one what if no one was teaching our kids how to think and solve problems? What what if no one in our community had a babysitting service so that other people that needed to go work could drop their kids off and know that they're cared for throughout the workday? Like what you do matters. What, what if I didn't have a sheet metal shop that made aluminum panels that went on a UPS truck so that another guy in this room was his fe- He draws FedEx, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but what if we didn't make parts that went on trucks to deliver your Amazon packages to your door? Right? Like, Trent, what if you weren't going to teach kids how to think artistically? I mean, God created art. In entertainment. I, I could go around the room to each one of you and tell you how much your job matters in this life. My mom works three part-time jobs going and help facilitate the entertainment and Chattanooga events at the Lookouts game and Chattanooga Splash and different places, right? Your work absolutely matters. And here's what you need to know, right? Christianity is not about what you do for God. It's about recognizing what he has done for you and then making yourself available to use you in whatever way he wants you to work for his kingdom. And so that's the question I want you to leave with today, right? What, God, what calling, and it's a calling. Like a guy told me 10 years ago, he said, Nick, you've been called to this position and I was like, no, I'm, I'm, like, I've been called to be an elder in the church. I haven't been called to be the president of a company. He's like, no, you have been called to this position. You are doing God's work. It took me a long time to reconcile that in my mind because we've used the word calling so much in the church, and we haven't really thought about it. I'm a, I don't know what time it is. I want to read one thing. Sorry. I'm sorry. Exodus 35. Look at this. It says, Moses said to the people so they're constructing the tabernacle right he says see the Lord has called I don't know some people I I can't pronounce their names he said he has filled him with the spirit of God okay so he filled these people with the spirit of God and what did they do they had skill intelligence knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze cutting stone for setting and carving wood Adam Clark how much wood have you carved in your day brother a lot right He's filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, by a designer, by an embroiderer. All these things that don't seem spiritual, they were filled with God for that purpose. Right? God has equipped you, and he's using his spirit within you to help bring flourishing to the world. So that's my charge to you today. Just as Jeremiah 29 said, we're waiting for God to call us home. Until he comes back, go forth and do your work well.